not here. <laughs> so he kind of dropped the title of my heart. He says, he's how about, how about doing a, 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 a teaching on how to measure our faith? And notice I didn't say your faith or my faith, our faith. Uh, it's a measurement. In other words, this is a personal measurement. But God actually put in the, in the scriptures a way of measuring our faith. Now, when Jesus, I noticed, I'll give you a couple examples uh, this morning, but I noticed that Jesus, when he talked about faith, he talked uh, in terms of little or great. doesn't seem to be a, a mediocre faith. <laughs> See, Jesus spoke in two terms. Oh, ye a little faith, or you of great faith I have not seen. I'll get share both of those examples with you. Uh, so basically, there is, a, uh, there is a dimension, or I should say there is a level of faith that maybe we should uh, be uh, profitable for us to pay attention to and maybe look and do a kind of a self-examination. So I wrote down some things and put my notes. Uh, this, is, this is a quote by a man by A.W. Tozer. Uh, he lived from 1897 to 1963, so this years ago. But he said this, this is a quote from him. He was a preacher and an evangelist and also a, an author, a book writer. He said, the man that believes will obey. Failure to obey is convincing proof that there is no true faith present. So when we talk about faith, we're talking only just about something that we talk about that's abstract, but something that we actually apply to. In other words, we, we walk out faith. We walk out what we believe. You do it every day. Uh, you sit down. How many had breakfast this morning? How many had breakfast this morning? Don't lie, you're in church. I didn't say how much breakfast. I said, did you have breakfast this morning? My goodness. Praise the Lord. I picked the wrong thing. I was messing with your food. Okay. How, did you have breakfast yesterday morning? Yes. Hmm. Why do you have breakfast? Because you're hungry. Energy, health reasons, whatever. You all got different reasons, but you all had breakfast. All right. Or somebody didn't have breakfast. Okay. If you didn't have breakfast, well, then you're going to be hungry by the time my sermon's over, right? <laughs> and you're going to run out to go around to the restaurant. How many are going to have, plan on having lunch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. This is, a tough, this is tougher than I thought. I thought this was a no-brainer. <laughs> anyway, praise the Lord. No, we're going to go ahead. Why do we do that? Because we believe that our body needs that. Matter of fact, there's more belief because you'll sit down and argue the physiological things that we need for our bodies. So the same way we feed our bodies, but do we feed our spirit the same way? Hmm. All right, praise the Lord. That's all I'm going to say about that this morning. But let's get back to faith. I want to, well, let's get thing, one scripture right off the bat this morning. I want you to understand. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is, this is one thing that we can all say. Because if you've ever told yourself you don't have any faith, you've lied to yourself according to the scriptures. Amen. He says, I'll read the whole verse. It says, for, though, uh, for, for I say, though the grace given me, to everyone who is amongst you, he said, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of himself soberly. For as God has dealt, as God has dealt, everybody say, as God has dealt, mark down your word, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. If something is given in a measure, then is it measurable? That's my, that's my question this morning. So the Bible strictly talks about the measure of faith. Jesus said this, he said in one passage, he said, if you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. So he was comparing the size of one of the smallest seeds to the faith that we all should have. 
So regardless of the size, but when Paul said God has dealt, God has given us the measure of faith, we have something that, yes, it is measurable. So how do we do that? Like I said, when I go scuba diving, he asked me, well, how long did she stay down at what depth? Okay, I was at 120 feet today. I stayed down for, um, for, for 17 minutes bottom time. I had three, and a half, I had three minutes or so uh, for my safety stop, and so as I'm 28 minute overall. And I, I can rattle those numbers off. And I said, well, I started out with 3,000 pounds of air pressure, came up with 1,700, 1,500 pounds of air left. I give you all those stats because I have a measurement, I have an indicator, uh, a dive computer that measures all those stats. And I can just rattle, plus I download them to a computer. I can tell you what I did last year, the year before. I can tell you what I did 30 years ago uh, in diving the same thing because I have all those, all those stats. And God says, meticulously as you keep that, to keep your body healthy, keep your body safe, how much more should we do the same thing to keep our soul and who our soul is at? So I want to give you some ideas this morning on measuring your faith. How many think that's a good thing? Yes. Okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Anyway, I noticed some phrases. I'm going to give you some, some, some notes. I taught on this before, so let me go ahead and repeat some of the stuff because I believe it fits in what we're talking about this morning. I noticed phrases in the Bible when people talk to Jesus. And these phrases were like faith indicators. So can I go ahead and give you a matter of fact, uh, from the lowest to the highest I'll go, but these are like faith, levels of faith that are expressed in the Bible. Actually, let, okay, in Mark chapter 9, the father with the boy with the unclean spirit, remember him? And the disciples couldn't cast out the spirit. They had to go to Jesus and so on and so forth. Well, he came to Jesus and he said, if you can. That was a statement he made, Jesus, if you can. So there's a level of faith. Jesus, if you can, heal my son. If you can, Lord, heal me. If you can, Lord, make this go away or whatever. If you can, Lord, uh, uh, change my circumstances. So that's, that's one level of faith would be if I can. How about next one, Mark, Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus cleansed a leper. This was in uh, Bethsaida, which is Peter's hometown, uh, fishing town. But anyway, uh, he came to a, a man, and the man said, if you are willing. So another level of faith was if you are willing. Now we're getting a little better. So, Lord, not if you can, but, Lord, are you willing? Are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to, to, uh, to, to uh, cleanse my leprosy? And so he, he went up. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I got the two mixed up. Eight, uh, Matthew 8, 2, Jesus cleansed a leopard. Now the next one, Mark chapter 8, 22, was a blind man of Bethsaida. And the blind man said this to him. He says, if you would, uh, if you would touch me, I'll be healed. Lord, if you will touch me. So what, let's get a rundown now. He says, if you can, uh, if you're willing, uh, if you'll touch me. So there, there's an indication of the faith is increasing. Now if you touch me. Well, how about this one? The woman with the issue of blood. You all know the story in Mark chapter 5. And the woman had issued blood, and she said within herself, she didn't say this to Jesus, she said within herself, if I could just touch him, or actually the hem of his garment. So she went up and touched the hem of his garment, remember, and she was healed. So there's another level of faith, if I could touch him. So basically, uh, we run it down again, if you can, if you are willing, if you touch me, or if I can touch him. Those are all levels of, of, of faith. All right, now here's the last one. This is the one that, that really uh, sets it off. This, Jesus, had, this Jesus just made an example of this guy, and he just, it was about the, uh, the centurion that came on behalf of his servant. There were two people in the Bible that Jesus had great faith. None of them asked for anything for themselves. 
they were asking for somebody else. I'll get him to go over it in a minute. But he said, he said, and this is what the centurion said to Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 7. He said, if you just, he said, I'm a man under, of authority. I'm a man that's under authority. He said, I know how this works. He said, I said, I tell my men to do this, and they go. They tell my servant to do it, and he does it. So you can do the same thing, because my house is not worthy for you to come into. He said, but if you could just say the word, just say the word, my servant, he said, will be healed. Jesus stopped. He said, I haven't seen such great a faith in all of Israel. Hmm. He says, so, so there's another level of faith. So let me, let me give you the, the, the rundown again. If you can, if you're willing, if, you, if he would touch me or if I could touch him. Or he could just say the word. The Bible says basically that God sent his word to heal us, didn't he? So there's healing just in the Word of God and even reciting the Word of God, getting the Word of God into our hearts, and there's a healing in that. So this, this is probably all basic of what you all know. The important thing to remember about all these, what I give you, one, two, three, or five, five different uh, levels of faith I just give you right now. The important thing to remember, are you ready for this? This is an important thing to remember. Jesus healed all five conditions of faith. Not one was, did he consider better than the other. They all got the miracle regardless of what level of faith. I just want to put that in there because basically they all got it. The, the boy got, uh, of the unclean spirit, he got healed. Uh, Jesus healed the leopard. The blind man of Bethsaida, he got, he got his sight back. Now he took him outside the city, you know, he designed, and, and, and he told them what to do. And, and the man, all of a sudden, he see, well, I see men walking. As, as, he held one again, and finally he got his return sight. The woman who said within herself, if I could just touch the hand of his garment, didn't even know, didn't even know she was there. He reached up and touched the seat on his, on his uh, uh, shawl. And what happened? Power went into her and she became healed of an affliction that she had for 12 years. God healed her too. And he said, just say the word. Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith, not all of Israel, over this Roman centurion, a Roman soldier is what he was. And he says, he says go home. He says, your servant is healed. And within that same hour, it was healed. So regardless of the level of faith, okay, uh, Jesus ministered. Why? Because the important thing to remember is he responded to each member, but it was the point that he, Jesus would point out unbelief and then perform a miracle so that person could then enter into the realm of faith. So even though he came to Jesus with little faith, when he performed the miracle, the purpose of the miracle was to increase their faith. They can now come into the realm of faith amen, and, and begin to, to follow that. Praise the Lord. Help anybody this morning. Amen. Miracles are supposed to change our perspective. It's not, a, 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 it's not something we're supposed to live according to, but it is something that changes our perspective. We believe for miracles here. We've seen miracles in this church. I've seen miracles overseas when I've, when I've traveled overseas and, and, and uh, preached in different churches, and we've laid hands on people, and we've seen miraculous things happen. I, I could fill the afternoon with just stories of what I've seen just overseas, not even in this church for the last 30 years. But it's overseas that we've seen. So we knew, know God does miracles today. But the miracle isn't an end to a means. It's not an end in itself but it's a representation of God coming in, and what he's what supposed to do is change our perspective. How many could use a change in perspective? If you've been brought up an idea, well, God doesn't do miracles today, well, I'm sorry, but you've been lied to according to the scriptures. He does do miracles today. And for as many stories as you can come up with that where God didn't 
heal that person or God didn't do that for that person, I could probably double that with the, with the miracles that I've seen with my own eyes and other people, other witnesses. So how do you balance it out? What if, what if we just take this and clear, level the playing field? This is what, believe what the Bible says from front to back. I like what one preacher said. He said, I believe the table of contents and I believe the maps. He said, from cover to cover. He said, I believe the whole book. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I believe the whole book too. So let's get back to the centurion and how Jesus, Jesus what, he, what he did. He said, therefore, he says, uh, in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 7, he says, therefore, I did not even think of myself worthy to come to you, but, to, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I as a man also placed under authority, having soldiers unto me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard these things, listen, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. That's pretty good when Jesus is going to marvel. <laughs> that means he's pleasantly surprised. He's, he, 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 he likes what the guy is saying. He's got a grasp. This guy had a grasp of a concept that we don't even have today sometimes. But he says, no, if God would just speak the word. And Jesus said unto him, he said unto you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, why did he make out the point of not great faith in Israel? Here's a Gentile, a Roman, who came with a greater display of faith than the people he was sent to. At first, the household of Israel. Remember, he said, I'm come, I come first to the household of Israel. Then, then what happened, there was another one. Now, this is what I like about these two. You can look up the word great faith, and you'll see these two people in the Bible. The other person is a Canaanite woman. A Canaanite woman? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, from a Phoenician woman. She was, she was a common, and she broke in on a Jewish meeting. Jesus was there as a rabbi. He's talking to a, all the Jewish people inside in Tyree, and he's, and he, and he, he's whether he's lecturing or whether he's uh, uh, preaching or whether he's praying. Anyway, this woman busts in. She just bowls in and interrupts the meeting. The disciples want to throw her out. They said, if you want, if she's bothering you, Jesus, we'll get rid of her. Well, they're all too glad to get rid of her because she was a Gentile anyway and broke into a Jewish meeting. So she goes up and she's, and, and, and this woman, you got to love this woman. I don't care. She, to, tenacity. Maybe this is where the church falls short sometimes. Maybe we just need the tenacity. Maybe, maybe it's about being serious enough to want change brought into our life. I'll get to that in a minute. But to, to listen. So Jesus said, to her, he says, and uh, she came worshiping him. She said, Lord, help me. She's just crying out for help. Now, she wasn't coming for herself. She was coming for her daughter, who was uh, gross, grossly, uh, uh, how the Bible says, she, she was vexed by the devil. Uh, uh, demon possessed is the word I'm looking for. And she, so she saw Jesus as the only answer and the last opportunity she would ever have. Hmm. Maybe the problem is sometimes we're not desperate enough to get hold of the things of God. So she busts into this meeting with risk of being thrown back out. And Jesus responds differently than he did the centurion, though the same kind of faith he, he acknowledges. The same, but he responded differently. And, 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 and a lot of People don't like the way Jesus responded here, but it is in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 15. And then she, she, she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered, Jesus said this to her, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. Jesus just called this woman a dog. Hmm. Now, 
<clears throat> I listen to how preachers preach this on this message. They all have mixed feelings about this, and they're all trying to make apologies for Jesus. And mention, but this is what it was quoted. This is what he said. This is how he said it. In verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. She answered back to Jesus, yes, that may be so, but at least even the dogs are entitled to some kind of crumb. She believed that a crumb from off the Jewish table to fall into her lap was enough to heal her daughter that wasn't even there. Just a crumb. We have a whole book <laughs> and a history of, and we, we struggle with things. Nope. All she says, just give me a crumb. Jesus turned, he says, oh woman, now he doesn't rebuke her. Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desired. Another one, he says, of great faith. What happened? Oftentimes, barriers of offense will keep us from the miracle we need. Because the strength needed to overcome the offense is the strength necessary to maintain a miracle. And Jesus knew that. Now, he didn't say that to the centurion. Oh, you're just a Roman. Why should I give your dog also? Because dog was, referring, was re referenced not to an animal as much as he was to a Gentile. That's what the Jews called Gentiles back then. He referred them to dogs. Those house pets or whatever, they, they, they have no covenant with God, so they're just dogs. And that's what we're referring to. Didn't have the same con exactly the same connotation it would today, but basically it was the same. They have no covenant. Basically, they're just dogs. They're just like every other animal living creature on the planet. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith. Here's two Gentiles that displayed greater faith. One came and said, just speak the word. The other had such a tenacity, she wouldn't even be insulted. She, would, she refused to be offended. Amen. She refused to be offended by Jesus and said, no, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And Jesus says, that's it. That's the answer I'm looking for. That same strength, the character that you have to overcome the offense Amen. is the same strength you will get your miracle. Yes, now remember, they were both of those people did not come for themselves. So the mother could have walked away and said, I'm not put up with this. Who do you think you are? He'll call me and just walked away. What would have happened? Her daughter would have still been in the same position. But instead, she took the other, and Jesus just blew up on it. He just said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. But Jesus set up the whole scenario. He understands something about God. He knows the heart. He knows the heart. And he, so instead of being offended, she wasn't offended. I wonder how many times we get offended, and the very offense that we get stops us from the miracle that we need. Because the same strength that we would bowl through the offense. Amen? I remember first coming into the church when, when I was witness to. Man, I wanted the Lord. I mean, I would, uh, the preachers would talk about guys like me. I, don't, you know, I worked construction. I, it, I was in a crude environment. Uh, sin all around the place uh, and everything else. And they would talk about sinners. And, 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 uh, and I'd sit there and say, well, I, I'm one of them. Uh, as far as I know, I'm still probably one of them. Yeah, he just talked about some half the guys on my job site. But I didn't get offended. Why? Because I wanted what the church had more than I wanted my dignity and pride. Yes, sir. I wanted what Jesus had for me. And that was the very, instead of getting offended of them talking about all my friends and different things like that and, and, and blowing up out of proportion and, and, and calling them names, 
uh, you know, and, and different things like that. No, I'll need what the church has to preach, what the church has to offer. But I, I asked several of them, I said, but if I converted like you were, I said, then won't I come out from amongst them and be just like you? Then can I be in right relationship with God? I said, absolutely. Then I said, why not talk about that? I thought it was a waste of time talking about what we used to be when we could talk about where we are and where we're going. But I didn't take offense over it. But I put it in my, in, in my brain when I became a preacher and began, uh, God reminded me of the same thing. You remember when you were a sinner? He says, so what do you want to do? He said, do you want to lash out and expose sin? Because preachers were dynamically exposing the works of the devil. The works of the devil is not hid. So what do you got to expose? What's it hid from? Hid from the ones that I guess aren't in part of society, but basically you, you don't have to, you, you can throw a stone in this town and hit a devil right in the head. Any direction. Just pick one, throw it, that's it. I mean, it's all over. It's, it's not hidden. Satan doesn't hide his works. Matter of fact, temptation works not on, the, not on the effect of hiding, but the effect of exposing and showing forth something in a deception that is different than what it is. So it's not really hidden. So I'm not exposing the works of the devil by saying, there's sinners out there. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But what happens is Jesus said, preach the gospel, which is the good news, and share what the good news is. They don't have to be locked into it like they think. So Jesus said, okay, I'm going I'm to risk offending this woman, but if she can get through this offense, the miracle is hers. She did, and it was. And it was her. So there's a couple examples right there. So how does this pastor line up with measuring your faith? Glad you asked. How many want to know how to measure your faith? Amen. Now, here's what we cannot do as churches. We can't point to another and say, you have great faith, you have a little faith. You, you, oh, man, you got to do something about you and start pointing fingers. Amen. Because basically God has not given us the spirit of judgment upon that. Now, understand something. We can mention sin because sin has already been judged. To say something is a sin is not judging a person if they're in that sin. But it is judging the sin because Jesus already judged the sin. So sin has already been judged, okay? So we can say what sin is according to the Bible, but what we cannot say is you're condemned and have no hope out of that whatsoever. That's what we cannot say because with, with Christ, we've all been redeemed from sin. Now here's another dangerous thing the church gets into is degrees of sin. If there's degrees of sin, then there must be degrees of separation because sin separates us from God. So if God is, if we're bad sinners, is he 10 miles away? But if we're not quite as bad as sinners, he's only five miles away? How does that work? Is there a measured distance between sinners and, and, and God, depending on your sin? Uh-uh. Nope. So guess what? The adulterer is the same as the gossip. As the same as the glutton. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. We'll go ahead and pre preach right on. Amen. So that's not the measurement that we're looking at either. The measurement could say, well, I go to church every Sunday. Uh, I, I just took communion this morning. I'm, I'm doing good. Everything is good. So I must have a high level of measured faith. No, you have a high level of obedience, but that doesn't describe the level of your, level of your faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many ever heard of the Sunday morning Christian or Monday morning uh, uh, almost a saint? 
But Tuesday, we're back into centering again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, no, it's, it's, it's not the degree. It's not by our works, because if it was by our works, then uh, we would have reason to boast. But the Bible says we cannot boast, because it's not by our works. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's redeemed us back. He's brought us back. And it's only by his divine uh, grace that we can uh, uh, be escape the world's sinfulness anyway. So let me get back to faith. That, that's not what I want to say, but, but let me get back to faith. So is there a way? Pastor, is there a way of measuring the faith? There's not only a way, but I'm going to show you something else that the church has overlooked also in the scriptures of, of, uh, of helping us out. Praise the Lord. I hear people all the time tell me this. They tell me, uh, Pastor, he's having problems hearing from God. And, uh, but I can sense his presence. I can feel the presence of God. If you feel the presence of God, you are hearing from God. Amen? But we have to get used to how God speaks. But anyway, that's, let, me, let me go on. I'll get, get ahead of myself. Uh, how many remember the story, this remember the story, uh, uh, where Jesus fed the 5,000? This this, that uh, is interesting in itself in Matthew 14. But he, he fed the 5,000. Jesus took the, what was given to him, loaves and fishes, he blessed it, handed it back to disciples, and as the disciples passed it out, it began to miraculously uh, manifest. What's interesting is Jesus, though the Bible says he laid aside his deity, he still was deity. Though he laid aside his, his, his he walked as man, he was still, Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man. So it wasn't beneath Jesus, and that feed the 5,000. So, well, okay, loaves and fishes, but let's just change the menu. How about manna? I'll call the father up. He'll send out for manna. We'll have enough food to feed everybody. You notice he didn't do that. Instead, he multiplied what was given to him because God has a desire to co-labor with us, not just do for us. But if we're not cooperating in the co-laboring, we could look at the blessings that we could be missing. Look at the signs and wonders and miracles we miss them simply because we're not cooperating with the Spirit of God wanting to work with us, co-labor with us, and work through us. I said before, I said, God has given us the Holy Spirit within us. That's for us. But then the Holy Spirit will come upon us. That's for somebody else. I'll get that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, Peter, after that little uh, uh, miracle there, and they wound up with 12 baskets left over. Each disciple had a basket of, of, uh, of takeout. <laughs> doggy bag, whatever you want to call it, all leftovers. They got into the boat. Jesus constrained them. And what it says in the Bible is that they, Jesus had to constrain them to get in the boat. That means that there was a discussion. They didn't like the conditions. Maybe they didn't like the sky. The Bible doesn't say what the constraining was about. But Jesus, no, I'm commanding you, get in the boat and go. So there was an argument. There was a, a discussion. There was a resistance to God. Don't look at me so pious, church. I know all of us. Praise the Lord, most of us. Amen. There, there, was a, there was an argument of what God wanted. They didn't want to do what God wanted to do when he said to do it. That was the argument. Anybody, anybody ever been there? Praise the Lord. Anyway, so the, anyway, they got in the boat. Sure enough, they were right. Get across the Sea of Galilee. Go what happened? They hit a storm. Now, they're all, they're all fishermen. They all probably could see the storm coming. Maybe that was one of the reasons that the Bible was going to say they all, all of a sudden, they, now they, they, they don't think it's a good idea if Jesus is getting in a boat. Did Jesus know the storm was coming? Yep. I believe he did. But the will of God, the will of the Father, was more important than any storm. In other words, the resistance of going across 
did not affect the decision of God to get them where they were supposed to be next. Amen? Amen? So what happens, they get out in the storm, and the Bible says they were laying into the oars, and they're having a tough time getting across. Jesus is up on a higher place, and he's praying. All of a sudden, he looks out, and he sees the disciples, and he sees the boat. It's in peril, peril because of the storm. So Jesus comes out. We all know the story. He comes out walking on the water. And as soon as he did, they were in fear. Now, we know the Bible says they got in fear. What is it? They thought it was a ghost. They didn't know what it was. They didn't recognize Jesus as Jesus walking across the ocean because Jesus came in a different form in the middle of their circumstance. In the middle of their problem, they didn't recognize Christ because they didn't see Christ in that light before. They didn't see him in the middle of a storm. They saw him feeding the 5,000. They walked with him. They went around. They see him, I mean, when he's in the boat, we catch a lot of fish from this side of the boat. I mean, just strange things happen, but we never saw him in a storm. All of a sudden, Jesus comes out and he says, he said, be not afraid. He said, for it is, it is me. Peter pipes up. He says, Lord, if it really be you, bid me to come. Are you ready for this? So what happened? You know what happened? Peter steps out of the boat in Matthew 14, steps out of the boat and starts to walk on the water. Then all of a sudden, the Bible says this. He said, Jesus, uh, verse 29, it says, Jesus said unto him, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus, verse 30 said, but when he saw the winds were boisterous, he was afraid. When he saw the winds were boisterous, he was afraid. Talk about Jesus. And, in, and beginning to sink, he cries out, say, Lord, save me. The distance from the boat, how far was that? Was it two steps? Was it three steps? Was it four steps? We don't know. We know this much, that when he said, Lord, save me, that Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and caught him and raised him back up again. So either he was close to Jesus... So let's measure the distance. If we had a measuring stick and we could we measure from the side of the boat where Peter stepped out of the boat and walked across the water to the place he sunk, let's call that the measure of his faith. So whatever that measurement, it was a measure of Peter's faith because basically to even walk on the water one step, you have to admit there was some faith in God's word plus God's word sustaining him. So the two were in cooperation. The word of God was in cooperation with Peter's faith, and Peter's faith was in cooperation with the word of God, and the two of them came together, and guess what we're doing? We are defying gravity. We're defying the physics, the laws of physics, and we're walking on this water. Up until the time fear entered into the picture. When fear entered, it doesn't matter what the fear was over, fear, it doesn't matter if the winds are boisterous. Were the winds still boisterous when he stepped out? It was the same winds. It was the same winds when he was walking on the water till the time he realized, he, hey, I'm, I'm out here. Oh, whoa, oh, man, now I'm afraid. It was the fear that sunk him. Where there's fear present, there is no faith present. So the measure of Peter's faith was a measure. I can do this. The other guys couldn't. They're all sitting there on the boat. They're probably thinking, you're stupid. We're going to have to swing by and pick him up. I mean, he's going to drown. 
But he said, well, I can do this. If that's Jesus, he said, come, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm taking the word of God. And so the distance of his faith took him so far until fear came in and stopped him right there. But Jesus still saved him. He didn't let him die, but he reached out and he picked him up and he said this, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He doubted because fear came in and caused the doubt, even though he was experiencing the very miracle that he asked Jesus for. How many has ever experienced a miracle that Jesus has given you, but then again you've doubted in the middle of it and sunk anyway? Hmm. Praise the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. You're still breathing this morning. That's a good word, Kevin. I I like it. That's a pretty good word. I'll take that revelation. Praise the Lord. So can we say this, that the measure, to measure our faith, part of it, not completely, it's not the whole story, but part of it would be the distance we travel. The distance that we travel. How many believe that coming to church and being part of the church, a church is open now, we're state of Florida, uh, uh, all the restrictions have been taken off. Well, there wasn't many restrictions on the church anyway in, in the state of Florida, not unlike the state of California or New York, but the fact is in the state of Florida, we've always been open to the whole pandemic. Yes. Hmm. How many would believe that coming to church has something to do with your faith? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Has something to do with your faith. So what happened... Post or pre-pandemic, we saw people come to church, but then post-pandemic, we see people now that just, what happened? Where did you get afraid? By the way, we've been open the whole time, and we have not had any, uh, any cases of coronavirus at all in it. I shared a story with my, my 93-year-old mom sitting in the church right today. Uh, not wearing a mask. She was at home. She had a housekeeper that actually got coronavirus and, 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 and went all through the house, cleaning the house, as the housekeepers do. And guess what? Uh, her or my sister, uh, at, you know, at 63, didn't get, didn't, none of them got, nobody in the household got coronavirus. But all through this whole pandemic, we're praying protection over our people, protection over our people. So where did they get afraid now to come out to church? Say, well, it's not worth risking. risking. I don't ask you to risk anything. Basically, we're asking to believe God. Amen. Amen? See, that measure of faith is important. The measure of faith is the confidence that we have in the heart of God, period. I'm going to say it again. The measurement of our faith is the confidence that we have in the heart of God. Can I share, can I share the, yeah. the other scripture? I want, I want to share something with you because I believe this, this goes together. It's going to sound like something different from what I'm talking about, but bear with me. I'll pull it together because I believe it has something to do with what we're talking about. Second Chronicles, if you want to write down and turn there. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Easy to remember. Second Chronicles 20, verse 20. Amen. It says this. It says this talk, talks about uh, uh, King Jehoshaphat. But this is the, this, what this verse says is interesting. He says, so they rose up early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of, Te- of, of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and ye shall be established. Now listen to this. That's not the whole saying. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Two, I see two elements in this, what Jehoshaphat was saying. Believe the Lord, 
and be established, but believe his prophets and prosper. Now, let me break these words down for you a little bit. Uh, I took, went to the Hebrew, and the word prophet in there means inspired man, spokesman, speaker, speak or sing, sing singing, music, by inspiration. Okay, so when we, when we subject and believe his, when we believe the inspiration of spokesman, believe the inspiration of seeing by inspiration, that's what he's talking about. The word prosper, you ready for this? We just think it's making money. But no, it's not. The word prosper in the Hebrew in this particular context says to push forward. How many here want to push forward? Yes. <laughs> you don't want to live in the past. Push forward. So he's saying, he's saying there's two elements. Jehoshaphat says two elements. You're established by the Word of God. No question about it. The Word of God has established you. But now how many want to move forward? Then don't cut out the prophets, the prophetic word. Matter of fact, if you go on further, you can find in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, it says, So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. So we have a history now of them prophets prophesying, the people doing what the prophets have said. I mean, they had to be in the same room at least, or at least in the same vicinity, what the prophets were saying. And they also pushed forward and prospered because of what was being said. They were able to move forward. Is it possible that people in their spiritual life can't move forward if they cut out the word of the prophet or the anointed one, along with being established in the word of God is fine, it doesn't, we're supposed to all be established in the Word of God, but if we're cutting out the one element that's supposed to move us forward, does it make any sense why we're not moving forward? Amen. I just thought it did. I thought it was a pretty good point. Amen? Amen? There's a common idea, and it's based in truth. I'll admit that. The common idea is all I need is Him. In other words, talk about Jesus. All I need is Jesus. If I was talking about way to salvation, that'd be absolutely correct. Because there is no other salvation by no other name but Jesus. But if you're going to believe Jesus, don't you have to also listen to the words of Jesus? And Jesus puts back the idea of community. He calls us the body of Christ. Are you here this morning? Praise the Lord. We're the body of Christ. Matter of fact, he says there's a heavenly father. He said we're brothers and sisters. That puts us back into a family. It said the Bible clearly says that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for his church. He talks about the church. He talks about, oh, how about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4? And he gave some, talking about Jesus, gave some gifts to the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So no longer have been tossed to it for a better doctrine. Who are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Hmm. Would that have something to do with us prospering or moving forward? Remember I said about the loaves and the fishes? Why did Jesus use the loaves and fishes and multiply them? Why did he just call down manna from heaven? God didn't lose the recipe for manna. Why didn't he change the menu? Because he desires the co-labor with who he's anointed. And Jesus was demonstrating that very fact. Praise the Lord. Is it possible, I suggest to you this morning, is it possible that our faith can grow through the listening of the prophets? 
Because what happens is, and it's not just from listening to prophets. Well, I don't need to, I just listen to the prophets. No, 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 that would be wrong also. We have to use the elements that God put in place. So there's a common idea, we all need him. But is there enough truth to keep, there's, there's, uh, is, there's enough truth to keep people in deception? My need to hear from God myself does not nullify the need to hear from the prophets. And my need to hear from the prophets does not cancel out my need to hear from God. But the two work in conjunction. So I, can, I suggest to you this morning that maybe some of our problems post-pandemic, well, I guess we're still waiting for the post on the pandemic, and the decretion in church attendance all around our country is stagnating or slowing down the movement of God's kingdom in which he wants to move on the earth that he wants to use us through. Because of fear, we got halfway out, but we were doing good, man. We were almost to Jesus, and all of a sudden we started looking, pandemic, uh, wind and waves, uh, man, I don't know about this. Man, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know about this. Jesus said, where did you fear? Can it be a measure of our faith when fear comes in and interrupts us from what God has called us to do? Did God say, go ahead and preach the gospel to every living creature unless there's a pandemic and sit it out for a while? Hmm, I don't see that part in there. Praise the Lord. I just don't. The way most of us function, if he only speaks to us directly, we would become independent and arrogant. We would have no need for the gifts that Jesus has given the church. We would have no need for the prophets. We'd have no need for anybody except us. And we become know-it-alls, big-headed like Pharisees, and arrogant to boot. So God has put in his system, may I suggest to you this morning, that God has put in his system checks and balances. Because you see, in the, New, in the Old Testament, the prophets were judged if they prophesied wrong. In the New Testament, the prophecy is judged. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I, I, well, along the same lines I was talking about one time, they said, well, how much money is too much money? That was a question that was asked a preacher one time. I listened to it. And he said, how much money is too much money? And the preacher answered back this way. He says, whatever amount replaces trust in God. He says, with God, it's always a trust issue. Hmm. Whatever amount makes us independent. So how much freedom is too much freedom? If the freedom carries us away from the call of God, the purposes of God, more than bring us back to God. Are you here? Mm. I'm getting a couple of amens. Judah prospered through the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, as I read to you in Ezra. Amen. Listen to this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind, of, kind of wind this down. But listen to this. Psalms 103.7. Write it down. Mark it. I want, you, I want to show you what God did even back then with Moses. It says this in Psalms 103.7. He says, He made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel did not know God's ways, but they knew His acts. Why? Because God set it up that the children of Israel were not going to do it without Moses, and Moses wasn't going to do it without the children of Israel. So for Moses to understand the acts, he had to go to the children of Israel. For to understand his ways, they had to go to Moses. And the two co-labored. Are we getting anything out of this? Yes, 
Here's another one. How about Gideon? Remember Gideon? Up on the hill looking over the enemy? And what was he commanded to say as they broke the pot's light and charged the enemy? They said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. All through the Bible, we have this picture of God wanting to co-labor with his creation, us, to co-labor with us. But all we want to do is cut them off and be independent, if that's all we want to do. I'm not saying we are, but if, if that's all we want to do, then it doesn't make sense that we're not going to prosper with the intent that God wants us to prosper. Am I helping anybody this morning? Okay, he's getting quiet in here. Make me nervous when he gets quiet. Praise the Lord. Amen. I thought it was pretty good. Amen. Fear, talk about Peter, fear is misdirected worship. I put that in my notes. I thought that was pretty good. Fear is misdirected worship and misdirected faith. Amen. God told the children of Israel in Judges chapter 6, verse 10, he says, I am the Lord your God. He says, do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. He said, do not fear the gods of the Amorites. They go into the nation of Amorites, and guess what? That's exactly what they feared, the god of the Amorites. And guess what they, who they end up serving? The god of the Amorites. And they had to cut off Jehovah God, the god of the Amorites. So the thing that you fear can be a misguided worship, can it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And cause you to do things that God has told you not to do, and can be misdirected faith. Help me by this morning? Yes. Well, praise the Lord. I thought that was a pretty good message. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. I got more, but I got, I'm going to stop. Praise the Lord. But, amen. I thought that was, I think that gives you enough to chew on. So, if I boil it all down, see, what is the measurement of my faith? Um, it depends on where you stopped. Depends on where you stop believing God, stop trusting God. That becomes now a, a default point. That becomes the cliff. <laughs> we fall over. So how do we do that? Get back to believing God and go further. What if Peter? We don't have it. This is this is this is this speculation. But what if Peter had the ability to go back and say, Jesus, let's rewind this and do this again. How far do you think he'd get on the water the second time? I got good news for you. God has given us a second chance through the stories we read. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, to, as, to, to share the whole thing, everybody thinks, well, what about false prophets? Wouldn't you know them? According to the scriptures, they wouldn't have the attributes of Christ. They'd just be mimicking something that they don't know. I know there's one thing. False prophets don't have true messages. But they can come across as sounding like truth. But Jesus says, you know them by the fruits. Amen. There's no fruits there. So how would you know their fruits unless you came in contact with them? For that matter, how would you know the fruits of a true prophet or a true anointed speaker? I'm just saying prophet now as far as one of the five-fold ministry gifts, though that is true. But the fact is prophet would be anybody who is anointed speaker. Our music that we write, when our team comes to me, they give me the lyrics, and I scan over the lyrics of all our songs before they're published to make sure that the lyrics are biblical and that we're not singing something that's not biblical. And that has to be approved. Okay? Nobody on our music team produces their own songs with the church name on it. 
because we do it as a team effort. Why? Because they hear what the prophet speaks. They hear what God speaks, but they also hear what the prophet speaks. We come together, and now we, got, we, we, can, we can put out a product that can, we can be assured and recognized as biblical Amen. and soundly based. So in this pandemic where people think it's safer to stay home, are you really? I'm hearing more stories that they're getting sicker when they stay home than when they come to church. Uh, now, we don't know, I don't have all the statistics on that, and I don't think there's anybody doing a poll on that, but the fact is, what about what God says? Is it become a, a, a has, in the name of safety, have we fueled our own fears about these things? Or we just found a convenient excuse to stay away from what we don't want to do? Then you determine that. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to judge you here. You call the church, we'll love you no matter what you do. Come on in. Uh, uh, this church loves people. We're a family. I said that before. This will always be a family. Not an organization. A family. That's what God calls us, a family. Brothers, sisters, father. We're family. Amen. He puts us together. But Jesus himself did give us the ascension gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I can't help believe that we can be blessed according to those, how we receive those gifts that God has given us the respect we have for him, and so on and so forth. Amen? Yes, Praise the Lord. Yes, so maybe that's something that will help. If you're not satisfied, let me, this is my closing statement, if you're not satisfied with the measurement that you're coming up with in your faith, do something to extend it. Find the areas of fear that's keeping you from extending that distance, because if Peter had a second shot at that, he'd walk all, he'd walk all the way to that place that God had for him. He'd walk past Jesus through the storm. He'd be, he'd be on the other shore by now and wait for the boat to catch up. Why? Because he saw something. He walked and he sunk. Jesus saved him, said, you a little faith. No, he didn't say no faith. He said little faith. So the distance that he traveled wasn't the distance he could have traveled. It was lesser than the distance he could have traveled, making it little. Not great. Praise the Lord. Getting out of the word this morning. Yeah. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Give God glory. Thank you.